Again, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. And uh, I'm going to speak to you from this topic here. Why aren't there many good fathers in the Bible? Do you ever wonder about that? Okay, first of all, uh, read the opening scriptures here. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training or nurture and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And finally, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall, not, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the word which speaks truth to us. And Lord, uh, help us to always pay heed to it, Lord, and what it says. Lord, it gives the guidelines that we need to walk with you and be the uh, men of God that we need to be and the ladies of God, too, that we need to be, too. And, uh, Lord, it's an awesome responsibility, the responsibility of child-rearing. So, Lord, I pray that you just uh, anoint my lips of clay and uh, take, help us to all to take heart, to take heed to what I'll be uh, saying today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today is Father's Day. The day that we celebrate and honor those of us that enjoy the privilege and responsibility of being a father to our children and also a, hundred, uh, a husband to our wives. And I begin with this message with a question. Why aren't there many good fathers in the Bible? Do you ever wonder about that? Well, without wasting a lot of time answering this question, the, the answer is really quite simple. Because there aren't many good dads around, period. I know that, uh, you know, with my personal father, you know, I don't think... He, he, he was a good father in many respects, but he never gave me the spiritual training that I really needed at the time. And, you know, I would have to say that I wasn't a particularly good father e either. You know, even though I uh, taught my children in the ways of the Lord and uh, brought them to church every Sunday, at the same time, you know, I didn't really live it, you know, live the um, message like I should have. Okay, why is this? Well, the simple fact is that dads are human. And they are fallible. They are broken. We're all a broken people, amen? Yeah. You don't think you're a broken people? You, uh, uh, you just broke uh, things right there because all of us are broken. 
So you haven't spoken the truth. And we're all far from perfect as all of us are people. And we're all born with that sin nature. Now, contrary to what we might think, there are many examples of uh, biblical, in the Bible of uh, forefathers. We don't need to look very far to find them. You know, I just wrote down a, a, a number of fathers right here. And Abraham, for example, even though he was called the father of faith, very often he was, you know, far from being a father of faith. You know, you take, for example, how he took his wife and his household into Egypt and he was so afraid that the Pharaoh or the men of Egypt were going to look upon his wife who was quite beautiful and try to steal her away from him. So he said, well, you know, she's my sister. Well, you know, what he said was the truth. She was his half-sister, but it was only half-truth. Because he, he was afraid. Then along came God, and God uh, takes him outside and shows them all the stars of the heaven. And he says, you know, I'm going to uh, give you descendants more than the stars of heaven up there. And uh, so David says that, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So I believe he was 75 at the time. And 11 years went by and uh, his uh, wife, you know, who's getting up in years, you know, she's still not pregnant. So he says, well, I need to help God along here. And so he gave, uh, uh, his wife gave her handmaiden, a, a woman by the name of Hagar, you know, him to be his kind of surrogate wife in this case and bear children through her. And uh, she gave birth to Ishmael, who became the father of the Arabs. So the bottom line is, even though he believed God, he still thought he needed to help God along a, a little bit. So he wasn't, in that regard, he wasn't a particularly good father. Uh, you also have uh, Isaac and Jacob. You know, Isaac was the child of the promise. And Jacob was his son, one of his two sons. And the thing about both of Isaac and Jacob is they both played favorites with their children. You know, Isaac favored uh, Esau and his mother favored uh, uh, Jacob. So there was infighting within the household because they were playing favorites. And then Jacob... Jacob did the same thing. He favored Joseph over all his brethren because Joseph was the uh, son of the wife that he truly loved. His one true lo uh, love in life was Rachel. And he showed favoritism towards Joseph. And that made a a jealousy and resentment to arise with his, <clears throat> his other uh, ten other sons. King Samuel, Samuel didn't bring up his 
children particularly well because when they grew up, they were greedy for money. They took bribes and perverted justice. By the way, he didn't have a very good uh, example of a father either. Uh, Eli the priest, you know, didn't uh, correct his children and... Uh, they, uh, you know, they were wicked men. They stole the sacrifices and uh, uh, lay w with the women at the door of the tent of meeting. So, more ex examples. Now, what about David? You, you say, well, David must have truly been a good father. Not so. You know, he had six sons born to him from six different women. And this was before he became the full king of Israel. Read about this story in Second Samuel chapter 3. Now he didn't just stop with the six women. He had other wives too and concubines that uh, we don't re uh, really know much about. Because the Bible doesn't talk about it. But one source that I was reading in preparation for this says that he probably had at least 30 sons and daughters. Now, how in the world is he going to be a father to uh, 30 different children? Right. You know, he was spread too thin. This is in addition to his duties as the king of Israel. And he was called a man after God's own heart. Right. You know, the, these three men here, Abraham, Moses, and David, are the three greatest leaders in the Old Testament. And yet they were abject failures in many regards as fathers. And finally, you know, David's son uh, Solomon, it says that he married many foreign women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. How he ever managed that, I have no idea. But uh, doubtlessly, there are many, many different uh, uh, children only one of them became king, and he was a man by the name of Rehoboam. We talked about him in the uh, Wednesday night Bible studies. And Rehoboam proved to be a wicked king. Because it says that uh, she was the... Uh, uh, <clears throat> his mother was an Ammonitess, one of the uh, uh, people of, uh, that, that were enemies to the uh, people of Israel. Solomon and uh, uh, Samson were two peas in a pod. You know, they both had a number of women. And, and uh, you know, you don't read of them actually ever marrying, you know, uh, an Israelite woman, woman. And that's what God had told them. You're to marry Israelite women, you know, because the foreign women will turn your... Uh, heart away from the Lord. In fact, uh, there was a commandment there in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, that specifically said that they would not, not to multiply multiple wives. They were only to have one wives, the, the kings were, because otherwise they're going to turn your heart away from me. And that came to pass. Now here are some examples of... Uh, uh, good fathers in the Bible. There's uh, the example of Job. Job chapter um, 1, verses 5 and uh, 5 and uh, I'm sorry, um, 4 and 5. 
It says, And Job's sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Job was a very rich man, so he could afford to let them do this. And it was, was when the days of their feasting were finished that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus did Job continually. So the one thing about uh, Job is that he was generally concerned with the spiritual welfare of his children. In that regard, he was a, a, a good father. But at the same time, the whole premise, you know, here they're just having all this feasting and eating and drinking, you know, having parties all the time. So they, they lived kind of a life of frivolity. And this happens a lot when people are rich, is they raise up their children. Their children don't know what it means to be in want. And so they suffer spiritually. Okay. Another... A good father that we find in uh, the Bible is Joseph, who was the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ. And little is spoken about him, but he, it is revealed that he often had dreams from the Lord, and he paid heed to them. So, the other thing about Joseph is he was handpicked by the Lord himself to uh, be the stepfather of Jesus. So he must have had, uh, must have been a good man in that regard. Okay, then there, finally, the example, there's, there's the example of the father of the prodigal son. Everybody know that story about the prodigal son, how uh, one of the sons of this one man uh, said, give me the wealth, you know, I, I don't want to wait until you die. I want to have the wealth now. And so his father gave it to him. And he went off to a uh, distant land. And there he wasted all of that money on uh, wine, women, and song, like they, they, they say. And uh, he became in poverty. And then he says to himself, you know what? I had it made there under my father's house. You know, I've, uh, you know, I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. And he says, I think I'll return to my father and just ask him to be uh, made one of his hired servants because the hired servants uh, are living well. And so he re returned. And of course, the father, you know, saw him a long way off, accepted him back. And, you know, he said, this, my son, was lost, but now is found, you know. Uh, so there's the, the father there. In, in, of course, the father there in the parable represents who? It represents God the Father. And how God is always patient. And if, even if we stray from him, he'll always receive us back if we would but return to him. But the, the kind of one of the things that uh, you notice in there is he had, you know, this, you know, almost perfect father, you know, he did have a rebellious son, too. Now, the rebellious son was not his fault. That's always the son's choice. Okay. 
And the same thing is true, you know, with, with God the Father, is many times we're raised up in the church. You know, it happened to me. And then when we get into our early adult life, as I did, uh, we stray away and start doing things we shouldn't have. Okay? So it, that's not God's fault, though, is it? Is that God's fault that I strayed? No, it's my fault. That was a choice. God always gives us a free choice. Okay? So that was a, another model of a good father. Okay, now, God the Father. I'm not a psychologist. I want to make that disclaimer. But my theory is, I think that, you know, a person learns how to relate to other people through their mother. But they learn, you know, this is not a, you know, etched in stone type of thing. You know, I know there's shortcomings to this illustration. But I think the person learns more to relate to God through their father. Now, two, this, this means that we as fathers have an awesome responsibility. Because we are to exemplify to their children, to our children, what God is like. Now, as I mentioned, many of us do not have good examples of fathers in our lives. And without this good example, sometimes we have trouble relating to God. If our father neglected us, maybe we'll leave, be left with the impression that God does not care about us. If he abused us physically, we may always be afraid of God. And you can abuse people emotionally too. You know, the father can abuse his children emotionally too. Maybe he's a perfectionist. I'm going to talk about this more later on. So we grow up thinking that God is a perfectionist. He demands perfection of us. And sometimes there's even intimate abuse, that is sexual abuse within the home. And I've heard it said that it's always damaging for a, a child to be sexually abused by anybody, but it's particularly damaging when the abuser happens to be the natural father of the child. If this happens, we may feel that God will take advantage of us and will also have trouble later on in life having achieving intimacy with our spouse. Now, how to be a godly father to your children? Number one, you build a solid spiritual foundation for your children. Two years ago, I used a man by the name of Casper Ten Boom as an example. You know, my whole message was based around him. Casper Ten Boom was the father of Corey Ten Boom. So if you've ever read The Hiding Place, you'll know what I mean. Corey Ten Boom and her family, you know, she was born around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, she... And her family hid Jews from the Nazis. You know, they were, lived in Holland. 
the Nazis took over Holland and immediately started rounding up the Jews and they took it upon themselves to protect these Jews because they were God's family, they're God's uh, people and eventually they were found out and uh, they uh, uh, were put into a concentration camp. But the thing that impressed me about Casper Ten Boom, Corey Ten Boom's father, is the love his he had. You know, I can't really honestly think of a better example of a father, other than God the Father, of course, than Casper uh, Ten Boom. Uh, the love that he had for his children was unquestionable. He always seemed to have the right things to say to his children when they had questions, the deep questions of life. And the primary thing that really drove this is the fact that he had such a close relationship with God and he took that position as the priest of the home and would read the Bible to them and pray every single day. This is what boggled my mind is, uh, you know, about the time that uh, Corrie Ten Boom and uh, her family were seized and thrown into that concentration camp, she said that the uh, uh, that very first night that they were all separated together, that was the first night that she had not, not had devotions with her father, and the rest of the family. Wow. That just boggled my mind. And she was in her 40s by this point. So you know that he was a man of God and he was consistent. Now you picture in your mind the greatest possible father you can. You know, to me, that, that would be a man like Casper uh, Ten Boom. But when you think of this greatest father in your mind... Recognize that God the Father is even an even greater Father yes. than He. Right. And the Father figure that we picture in our minds, is it faulty? Is it, do, or do we have the wrong image of what the ideal Father would be? You know, would this Father just let you go and do whatever you wanted to? Or would He put His foot down, you know? No, you're not going to do that. And when you misbehave, would he discipline you uh, when necessary? You know, you have to accept the good as well as the bad with this ideal father. <clears throat> yeah, sometimes it's necessary. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He wrote, uh, we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. How many of you know what a grandfather does? A grandfather, you know, the uh, father's the disciplinarian, and then the grandfather, you know, he kind of spoils the children. You know, we want a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves, and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might truly uh, be said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. That's what C.S. Lewis, one of the great minds, you know, and he's right. Amen? This is true of young people and the culture today. We think we can do whatever we want, no matter how sinful, and there are no consequences for doing it. 
You know what this month is, is right now? Unless you're living under a rock, you know that this is Pride Month. The LGBTQ people are saying that they are proud of who they are. And if you don't participate with them in being proud and support them of who they are, then you're a bigot. And what they're saying is they want to be comfortable in their sin and you want to affirm them uh, with it. You know what this is? It's a form of insecurity. You know, I'm proud of who I am and you better support me and be proud of who I am too. So they're insecure, right? That's what this whole pride thing is all about. They are insecure. And brothers and sisters, the whole premise behind Pride Month is contrary to God. What are the seven deadly sins? It's, you know, the Catholic Church talks about the seven deadly sins. You know, I once watched this uh, movie about the life of Christ. And they showed Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene, the Bible says in Luke chapter 8, was possessed by seven demons that Jesus cast out. So the Catholic Church in this movie was saying, you know, it was a Catholic-oriented uh, uh, Life of Christ movie. It was really old because I remember it was black and white. But anyway, it shows Jesus coming up to Mary Magdalene and he's casting out these seven demons, which they attributed to the seven deadly sins. Those seven deadly sins are pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. You know what this Pride Month does? It combines two of those seven deadly sins, pride and lust. Now, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. I done read the Gospels at least 50 or 60 times in my life, and I've never seen it in there. But he did talk about lust. And as I pointed out to you when I gave that series on the return of the gods, I mentioned that lust reigns supreme. You know, lust has just been so overblown in our present society, and a lot of it, like, like I said, is fueled by this internet pornography. And I mentioned that the more perverted the sex, the stronger the lust is, the stronger the bondage is. This is my experience in ministry. And, and I, I mentioned before, it's because they're worshiping this pagan goddess Ashtoreth. And you start drilling down deeper and deeper into the lower parts of hell. And the more you drill down, the more powerful the demons are. Now, even though Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. The Old Testament most certainly did, and Paul did too. I didn't write it, brothers and sisters. I didn't write that. The inspired writers, uh, you know, uh, wrote it. And that's why it's so important that we pay heed to what they had to say. Now, Jesus didn't mention uh, homosexuality, but he did talk about lust in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I'm going to go into detail about that in a couple of weeks. You know, what did he say about lust in the Sermon on the Mount? 
He said, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her in his heart, it's tantamount to doing the very act of adultery with her. Okay, same thing is true of gay porn too. Amen? You know, and that's, like I said, that's even uh, stronger there. So that was the closest that uh, Jesus came to dealing with the subject of lust. And, you know, how many of you know what happened in Dodger Stadium uh, this past Friday? Okay. Okay, well, they had this group, this LGBT group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. You heard of that? You know what the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence? They're a group of men. I don't know how many there are. I think there's there's at least three I know because I've seen them together. And they call themselves sisters. That's a way of mocking Catholicism. Even though they're men, they call themselves sisters. So they're this trans group here. And they dress up in, you know, nuns' habits and everything. They dress like nuns. And then they do all these things that outright mock Christianity. That's us too. And uh, think about their names. Sisters. So they're mocking Christianity and Catholicism in particular. And they call it perpetual indulgence. What does perpetual indulgence mean? It means they indulge themselves. They, yeah, they in anything, but particularly because they're concerned with sex, the, with uh, sexual perversion. They indulge themselves perpetually. That means continually, and giving themselves over to it for eternity. There's so much that's packed in their very title that they've given themselves. And so they've completely given over themselves over to their lust. They're proud of it. And they expect us to accept them like that too. Well, I love them. I'm telling you right now. I'm not t- telling this because I hate them. I don't hate these people. I love them. But I hate their sin. When my younger son was growing up, when he reached the age of 13, he got involved in drugs. And his life just changed overnight. And I still love David. His name was David. Well, his name is David. Uh, I loved him anyway, but I hated his lifestyle. So you can love the person, but hate their lifestyle. Amen? Yes. Okay? Amen. So love has nothing to do with it. You love them. You know, uh, the, Jesus told us in that same Sermon on the Mount, we're to love even our enemies. And we're to love our children. Show them unconditional love, but that doesn't mean you have to accept their lifestyle. Right. has nothing to do with whether or not you love the person or not. And the very idea, you know, they call us homophobes and transphobes. You know, that whole thing is a, 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 a big lie. You know, what is a phobia? A phobia is an irrational uh, fear or hatred of a particular thing, person or thing. And I don't hate these people. 
And I'm not afraid of them. The only thing I fear about this rampant sexual revolution that's going on is I fear that God is going to bring judgment to this country because of it. That's the only fear that I have. But I'm not afraid of them as people, and I don't hate them either. Okay. Anyway, uh, moving right along here. I had to get that thing in because, you know, I, another thing I saw in the news is they were talking about how too few clergy are taking a stand against that. And while I am pastor here, I'm going to stand up here and tell you where I stand and where God stands on it. Amen? Amen. Okay. Moving right along, this... Uh, spiritual foundation that we're to give our uh, children. It's for us as well. And I read this here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And these words I, which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now, the reason, you know the reason why we're commanded to speak the word as it says right here? It's because that's how speaking the word aloud gets into your heart. And I've talked to you before about memorizing scripture. Memorize scripture, brothers and sisters. And the way you memorize it is when you speak it out. You know, when I've memorized scripture, I speak it out and God gives me insights, you know, with the different portions of scripture that I've memorized. It gets into your heart and then it becomes a part of you. We are to practice what we preach to our children, yeah. brothers and sisters. And that's how our children when they see us practicing these things, they will know that Jesus is real to us. Yes, a vibrant spiritual life is more caught than taught. Do you understand what I just said? A vibrant spiritual life is more caught than taught. You can teach your children till you're blue in the face, but if you don't mo model it, they will never catch on to it. If we are truly walking in the Spirit nine times out of ten, so we're, will our children. Second way that we can become a godly father to our children. Number two is to take the time to develop an intimate relationship with them. Yes. You know, busy fathers often say, well, I'm so busy with my work, you know, and these other things I've involved in. I don't have much time for my children. But, they say, you know, the time we do have is quality time. Mm -hmm. And don't be deceived about this. Having a little quality time doesn't even come close to the, quality, uh, the quantity of time that children truly need. And this is based on actual face time with your, uh, your uh, children. You know, the average father 
spends 14 minutes a day with his teenage children. That's far too little. And even Christian fathers aren't much, not much better. They average 17 minutes a day. How do you spell time? T-I-M-E? Well, I'm, I did that wrong. How do you spell... <laughs> I blew it. Sorry. How do you spell love to your children? Okay. How do you spell love to your children? You spell it T-I-M-E. You show them that they are important to you. Important enough for you to spend time with them. So you spell... Love to your children by T-I-M-E. Okay. Number three is you meet the top intimacy needs that every child has. And I'm going to go into that in just a minute. The top ten. Most people think that they, you know, really don't have many needs. But they do. You don't think your child has needs? He or she has many needs. And it's important for fathers to meet the needs of their children. Meeting their needs is the physical, emotional, and spiritual practice of love. When meeting the needs of your children, we most look like Jesus to them. Now these top ten intimacy needs are number one. Acceptance. Do you accept your children unconditionally and love them in spite of what they do? You know, one of the things that I did with my uh, uh, son David when he was getting involved in drugs is we started to drag him from meeting to meeting, you know, these different encounter groups, which included the parents as well as the children. And so he knew that we still loved him because we went out of our way to, you know, if we didn't love him, we'd just, you know, say, oh, go on, do whatever you want, you know. But we tried our best to get him to uh, give up those uh, drugs. And uh, uh, we accepted him, we loved him unconditionally, and we loved him even if he never changed, we would love him still. Number two is affection. I'm talking about touches and cuddles and verbalized uh, expressions of love. You know, those of you that are fathers, how many times do you tell your children that you love them? Hopefully all the time. How many times do you hug them? I won't ask you how many times you kissed them, but uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. You need to at least hug them to give them an uh, expression of physical love. Yes. Appreciation. This has to do with someone commending the things that you do. Do you ever commend your children for the things that they do? Yes. Especially commend them if they're showing an interest in spiritual things. Are you a perfectionist? This is what I was trying to say early, earlier. Are you a perfectionist? Is anything that they do, is that good enough? 
you know, particularly if you involve them in sports teams. And by the way, sports teams are a marvelous way of uh, connecting with your children. I used to coach my son's little league teams. And I had so much fun out there, you know. I think I had more fun than the kids did. But I was always encouraging my, my son, you know, to, to excel in sports. I wasn't very good in sports when I was a kid, so you know, it was kind of a... They were better than I was, that's for sure. <laughs> kind of live a little vicariously. Okay. <clears throat> Moving on along. Attention. Do you ask them who's spending time with you? Who are your friends? You know, this is really important because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, bad company corrupts good morals. Know who their friends are. Know what kind of people their friends are. Number five, approval. This is close to appreciation, but it also include, contains an affirmation of who they are. Never compare them with other people. Why can't you hit like, you know, so-and-so? Why can't you be like so-and-so? And especially don't do it with, your, uh, uh, with their siblings. Don't compare it. Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? They get good grades. How come you can't? You know, this type of thing. Don't compare them. They are their own unique person. Amen? Amen. Never tell them because then they'll start wondering, well, I wish I was like so-and-so. I wish I was like my brother or sister. You know. Let them know that you accept them for who they are. Yeah. Amen? Comfort. Do you ever let them cry on your shoulder when something goes wrong? Maybe you had a falling out with a friend or something. Are you there available for them so that they can express themselves to you? And find your shoulder right there if they're really broken up about things. Everybody suffers disappointments in life, brothers and sisters. Do you comfort them? Encouragement. This is to urge them to fulfill their dreams, goals, and desires. Do you even know what your children's dreams, uh, goals, and desires are? You got to talk to them. Who's your uh, ch children's... Uh, cheerleader and again especially encourage them on the things of God yes. respect <coughs> key word here is value your children need somebody uh, to value his or her opinions ideas thoughts and convictions now with the convictions you always encourage them too to develop godly convictions, things that are in line with the word. Because they are listening, they go out there into the world and they hear what the, the world has to say. Make sure you 
keep them, keep their paths straight. You know, make sure that their convictions are in accordance with God's word. Security. This is not just freedom from physical harm and having uh, the doors locked. It has to do with emotional protection as well. Your children are always going to have fears and insecurities. And you help them to overcome those. And teach them to put their faith in the Lord. And give them the scriptures. That's why you need to know the scriptures. Scriptures like 1 John chapter 4 where it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect Love cast out fear. Yes. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You can help your children overcome their fears and insecurities yes. by being able to teach them the word of God. Finally, support. This is a practical need. Your children will tell you, I don't need you to criticize me or advise me. I need you to get under this burden and share the load with me. Give them support. And again, it's support in godly things. So pay attention to your children's needs and deliberately try to meet them daily. And you'll be a great father. Our hope is that our children will never have any unmet needs. That's an ideal, I know. So, you know, they're always going to have unmet needs, but you try to meet those needs as much as you can. And you're to be encouraged, you know, when you, you get old like me, you know, children are out of the nest, you can still act as an advisor to them. Right. You know, you can still fill those holes left by unmet needs. It's never too late. So the conclusion of these, this section on the needs that people have, good fathering means meeting the needs of our children. Okay, I'm almost finished now. The last one here is there are some dads that are really good. You know, uh, you are fortunate if you had one. You know, be sure to thank God if you did have a good dad. Okay? You know, I've mentioned Casper uh, 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 Ten Boom. Uh, again, you might want to get a hold of that book, uh, The Hiding Place, and see what you can glean out of that about being a good dad. Also, there's another good dad that I uh, know of, and that's the man that we've been praying for, Bob McClay, the one who had his foot operated on. And he and his wife, who's my second cousin, uh, Renee, uh, they didn't have any natural children of their own, but they adopted a, a Native American boy when he was really small, and they named him Devin. And they raised him upright, too. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, the way that the school system is, even back 
is we're talking uh, 30 years ago when uh, my ex-wife and I were raising our children, we sent them to public schools. And in those public schools, they're in, uh, you know, uh, exposed to all kinds of ungodly things that are going on. But Bob McClay and Renee put Devon into a Christian charter school. I think it was called, I think it's called Scottsdale Christian Academy. They're down there in the Phoenix area, you know, Scottsdale. And they sent Devon to there and he is excelling, you know, and, uh, you know, of course, you know, he, he's got plenty of pressures, but at least he had that godly influence in his life. And in retrospect, I wish that that's what uh, my wife and I had done. But if you didn't have a uh, godly father, you can still be at peace because you are not doomed to pass along to your children the mistakes of your past. You know, many men have raised successful children despite having a rough childhood and not having a real godly influence. So don't be too angry at your father if you didn't have a, a good father. And also don't blame God either. If you had a poor father in your life, don't blame God. Instead, try to be the best father that you can be. Give your father, if he's still living, you know, my father passed away back, way back in 1987. He's been gone for, what is that, uh, 36 years now? Yeah. Has been that long? And boggles my mind at times, you know. Give him room for grace. If you don't, didn't get appreciation from your dad, you know, it may be the fact that he didn't get any appreciation from his father either. Right? right? right. It's very pass, hard to pass on what you never received. But that's why you get into the Bible, brothers and sisters. Even if you had a poor dad, get into the Bible and discover what a real perfect dad was all about. Can you say amen to that? Okay? Amen. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is renewed by the word of God. Fortunately, even if we didn't have a good dad, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and special people around, you know, you just surround yourself with special people, people that you know are godly and fear the Lord. And we can minister to the unfulfilled needs in our lives. And then we can pass them along to our children. Now, everybody here, if you're a father or a future father, there's a couple of here that I hope are going to be future fathers. Learn to model yourself after God the Father. Take it to heart. You know, this is what's so blasphemous about what's going on in these public schools where they're getting children now to, you know, question their own sexuality. 
And you know, kids at that age, you know, young children, they're trying to go bore way down into uh, kindergarten and even preschool with his garbage about sexuality. And they'll tell them, you know, don't tell your parents, you know, that we've renamed you to a feminine name or a masculine name. And, it's, you know, then they start, you know, sending them off and getting puberty blockers. You, you know what they, they're doing right there? Is they're de- guaranteeing that that child will never bear grandchildren for his or her parents. That's what's so... And, and I, that's why I told you, God is not going to put up with this, brothers and sisters. He's going to put a stop to this. Okay, so I hope we've got a couple of future fathers, you know, looking around here. And I I want you to take this to heart. Amen? And to all of you ladies, too, tell your husbands, and everybody here, if your father is still living, tell them how much you love them. And how much you appreciate them. And sometimes that will enable them to become men of God themselves. I once read about this uh, woman who's, uh, I believe her husband was unsaved. And uh, one day she went up to him and she said, I read uh, in the Bible that you're supposed to be the priest of the home. And you know what? He got saved because he began to take that role seriously. Yes. Okay? So if your husband is not even a Christian or if he's not really walking with the Lord, maybe you ought to hit him with that. Okay? So he will become a man of God himself. There's lots of ways, you know, pray to God about it and ask God to show you. Okay. So, I'm done. Look around here. I know just about everybody. So, uh, uh, let's just pray right now for our fathers. Father, we uh, thank you so much uh, that you do give us the example of what a a father is to be like. And many times, Lord, uh, there's very poor fathers that we read about in the Bible. But, Lord, we know that you are the most perfect Father. So help us, Lord, to get into the Word and truly discover what kind of person you are and strive to seek your face, Lord, every day that we are alive, Lord. Help us to use our time, Lord, to promote our relationship with you and promote our relationship with our children and our families. Lord, thank you for uh, uh, the message, Lord, that we've heard today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Go ahead and cue up that uh, song on the desktop there. This song we uh, listened to five weeks ago with uh, uh, Mother's Day, but it's because it's got also an expression... Okay, yeah.